So, you know, um, a while back I talked about my shoulder and how I thought that I wrestled with a dislocated shoulder for about a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's never quite set right. And occasionally it reminds me that one day it's gonna give me a receipt and on it it's gonna say pay one piper to the tune of your fucked mate (laughs) and i got another reminder on saturday um bit of a warning for our listeners this might it's not gory (laughs) it's 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 mildly low-key squicky it's it's nothing too brutal, but when I did tell some people, they went a bit. Um, so I had a match on Saturday, a big eight-person elimination match. I chokeslammed Blue Kane first and foremost. Um, there's a wrestler that's made quite a name for himself by being a blue version of Kane. Uh, <laughs> legally, he is called Blue Pain now because he got a cease and desist of the <laughs> day after he debuted. But yeah, looks like Kane, but blue. And instead of like summoning fire, he's got snow powers, um, <laughs> which is just hilarious. Like he comes well, out to a somber gothic version of Blue by Eiffel sixty five. Oh my god! Uh, it was fucking amazing. Um, so I came out, did a big stare down with him. Um, crap fucking ate it up because obviously I take a lot of my stuff from the original Kane so there's me and him like facing off pulling on our glove tilting our head all Voorhees style really cool really cool anyway that no good shreddy um, who I've been um, trying to get a match out of at Sov Pro the one who um, was supposed to be in a match with me and that Scotty Too Hotty guy and, and that all fell through and then he turned on me and it was a, it's a big long term story uh, line thing um anyway i was jumped from behind by a wrestler called easton reese and if you've ever seen a picture of him you'll know his hench and he hit me with a spear which is a fairly well-known wrestling move very simple you charge at someone bent down a bit, and you just ram your shoulder into their gut and take oh, them yeah, down. Yeah. Simon Miller uses it a lot. Um, I've been speared before and was like, yeah, that's no worries. Now, when I say I've been speared before, it was by a woman half my size. That would make ah. a difference, I think, yeah. yeah. Not a man whose nickname uh like like wrestling um brand name is the alpha male and is one of the few people that could actually live up to that <laughs> term however unscientific it may be he's a brick fucking shit house and he hit me like a bullet train and i mean like a train i'm told it, it looked really good and that's because i didn't have to sell it so anyway <laughs> I felt my shoulder come out on impact. Oh. That's how hard he hit me. But there's good news. Because I felt it pop right back in on the landing. Ah. 
And and is he is he in the right spot now? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like the thing, like I say, the thing's never quite set right, and it's just it's weird things that will make it just sort of like like wobble a bit. It goes through long periods of being just fine, and then then it will have a bit of an epi. But that was terrifying. It was the te- it was one of the it was the scariest second I've ever had in professional wrestling. That moment of oh my fucking god, it's come out! I am fu- oh wait no, there it goes. <laughs> now both times were fucking painful, but yeah, that's a that's a new one. Wow, dislocated and relocated in one move. I know I've got to go see the doctor about it. Um, it seems like but- a good idea. Yeah, the way I'm looking at it is, it's the kind of thing where if it goes on too long, that will shorten my career. But I'm of an age, and close enough to having to put it to bed anyway, that any longevity I'd get out of it now would be offset by the time I'd take out for recovery. Sure. So my plan is to save up all of these injuries. Oh, okay. Cash them in at the end. I, that's how it works. That's, that's definitely how it works, and it's not just going to leave you with a fucked body beyond the wrestling career point going forward. Definitely not. I'm already fucked. That's the other thing. Yeah, like, it's definitely not going to make it worse I, long term. I failed my <laughs> MOT years ago. Um, no, I mean, I'm I'm being careful. I now know to be very careful around spears and not just run when I see Easton Reese coming at me. Um, <laughs> but there you go. Uh, wrestling is interesting um, when it comes to someone who's changing their body as well. That's something I've been sort of reckoning with. Not to harp mm. on too much about wrestling. Um, actually, yes, to harp on entirely too much about wrestling. Um, I'm constantly, I've realised I've been constantly having to redo moves I know in training to account for the changing body shape and potential change in strength levels as a result of hormones, which has been an interesting... Mm. It's it's. I'm constantly having to recalibrate because... That moment when you realise you've started knocking things off of shelves with your tits and your ass. That's yeah. that's fun, but that applies to wrestling where body positioning and your size and shape relative to the opponents is an important factor. Yeah. So long story short, I did a forward roll and almost knocked myself out with my own tits. <laughs> Yeah. I got smacked so hard in the face by them. The point is I almost knocked myself out with my own tits, uh, which is new. I think I need to get a proper bra, like a sports bra thing. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like a good idea. I feel like that would be advisable. Yeah, I don't think my usual assortment uh, of incredibly tasteful yet saucy brassiers is going to cut it. Getting into doing sports will suddenly make you realise quite how much tit exists and how much it can move around if it desires. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Oh, because you, you would know. I actually have to look into a, a jock strap here in the near future. Yeah. Which, Ooh. yeah, yeah. And and I don't know, They do, do they still make jock straps? Is that a thing that I, still I have to assume they do. I guess. I think these days you just, well, in, in, um, in Britain, after Brexit, we had to sell all of the jock straps. Oh. Uh, so now mm. we just sort of duct tape everything to our <laughs> legs and hope for the best. <laughs> So, Adam, yeah. speaking of body changes and accoutrements as a result, Conrad, yeah. your new glasses are incredibly fetching. Oh, they well, look thank you. so good I've, on you. I've I, I, not seen these new glasses. Yeah, I, they're on my Instagram. Um, yeah, I got, I got, well, they're, they're just readers. They're like $15 readers from the drugstore, like at the mm. lowest magnification that they offer. I My vision is startlingly good for a person in their early 40s whose parents both wore glasses their entire lives like i'm in pretty I'm, good shape i'm in a i'm in a similar position one of my eyes is a little weaker than the other i don't know which but i know that i have to tilt the 3ds a little bit to make the 3d work because one of my eyes isn't working properly um, but, like, considering both my parents were, like, chronic glasses needers, I'm impressed that my eyesight is as good as it still is. Yeah, I have the oh, same thing. Oh, those are nice! I'm just looking at them now. Those are lovely. Hey, handsome boy! Thank you. Uh, I didn't go see an optometrist for, like, 20 years. Or more. Mm. You know, like, I think high school yeah. was probably the last time I had a vision test. And um, I was working on rebuilding the computer a few months back. And I was noticing... It very difficult to read like text printed on chips, you know, because they don't mm. they don't actually use anything with contrast, right? It's they just put a slightly shiny metal print on top of a slightly dull metal print. And so you have to get the angle right to get the light to refract. And I just could not read this like four point print on there. And I thought, oh God, maybe I need to see an optometrist. Went and took the vision test, and I can read the bottom line as long as I can use my right eye. Yeah. My left eye is just that little bit weaker that I can't quite make mm. out the bottom line on the chart. It's having to compensate just a little, like the other eye is having to compensate a little. Just a little bit, yeah. Um, yeah. And apparently my mother, like, as a child, her left eye was so much weaker than her right that she had to wear a patch for... Um, a Ooh. while to, oh. to to build up strength in the other eye. So, um, I yeah, I, I must have hit the genetic jackpot uh, somehow and, like, missed all of the, the things that would be bad. Like, my vision's fine, my hair's fine, you know, all of these things that I would have expected might have fallen apart on me simply haven't as a result of genetics, which means the cancer is going to be real bad when oh. that comes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But well, I mean, we discussed then. last week, you've got a charmed life and deflect it. So uh, <laughs> it's, I think it's pretty I'm going to go get myself tested. <laughs> <laughs> I had a vision test oh. a couple of years ago. Um, Paul Bettany got it, though. 
sorry, it took good. me a second. No, it yeah, was, it was, yeah. No, it was good. It, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, it was, was It was a slow it was burn. Good. It got yeah. me. It mm-hmm. got me. Yeah. 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 Welcome yeah. to full possession. We're here. We talk about video yeah. games sometimes. We, we occasionally do. do that. Who's who's itching to talk about a thing they've played this week? We've all played Super Mario. We have. We have. Yeah. Yeah. I I have basically finished it now. I don't know if both of you are the same. I'm in world... I finished world three. I'm on okay. five... I'm at five, the fungus, the fungus mine. I'm yeah. on that one. I, I'm at the point where I could finish the game at any second, but I don't want it to end, so I'm going back and like being a bit completionist about it, because I don't want to finish it yet. <laughs> oh, you know what? I finished world four. Now that I think about it, yeah, because I'm I'm about to start yeah. the fungus mines, and I just haven't yeah. picked it up again. That ah. game is very good, and it is fucking exhausting. I I heard you describe it as exhausting. I think when you raided over from stream the other day, what I I want to hear what you mean by exhausting. It's too much. It's 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 just I and mean, that's this isn't it's a bad just... thing. This isn't a criticism necessarily, but it's sort of constant barrage of new things. After a, a point, mm. uh, I think, in, in, and I think in combination with just like the very aggressive color in the game, yeah, wears me down after a while. I can do a world, and then I have to take a break from it. It reminds me, in some ways, of WarioWare, mm. where mm. it's not quite micro game. It's not like a few seconds. Right. But the constant, like, here's a thing, here's a thing, here's a thing, here's a thing, coupled with levels that are often really brief. Mm-hmm. I keep thinking about WarioWare, where it's like, these are platforming versions, almost, of micro-gaming. You're, um, and you're I, not I'm very, I think I'm between you two on it, where yeah. I do really, really like it a lot, but... I certainly see where Conrad's coming from. Sometimes I'm playing it and I'm like, this is this has been a lot in in a short span of time. I think I'm gonna take a bit of a break from it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Right? No, like no. there's nothing it's wrong with the game being that des- designed that way. It just means that I have to stop at some point yeah. and come yeah. back. I had suspected this was what you meant, and I'm on the other end of the scale, but it's not for anything other than brain chemistry, mm-hmm. this is scratching that Vampire Survivors-esque itch for me of, like, there is bright lights and constantly new things to be doing and lots of novelty input that is... Some combination of how they've put it together is hitting the dopamine button in my brain. And I cannot blame anyone for her, for whom it falls on the overstimulating this is a bit much, this is going a bit quickly between ideas end of that spectrum... I can't get enough of it. I, th- I think for me, it's the fact that some levels are roughly Mario, like traditional Mario level length. Mm. Some are super duper short. Some have are literally called break time levels, right. which I love the concept of it, mm-hmm. where there's no challenge here. You're just gonna like jump around in a silly little level we made, and yeah. every component is good, but. Where I find it tiring isn't so much the speed and the the barrage of it, it's the stoppy startiness. Mm. It's the constant switching of pacing. Having to Um, change where your brain is to whatever line of thinking that they want you to be 
following at that point, yeah. Yes. And again, none of it's bad. I I really am liking it. I'm just finding it hard to play like really long lengthy sessions because the speed and the um length of levels mm. is constantly changing to the point where I can't get into and stay into a groove with it. And the groove I'm glad you used that word. Mm. Because I think that more than any Mario game I've played, and to be fair, it has certainly been a long time since I played a 2D Mario, but it really feels like the stage design in this game is built around a very specific route that it would like you to attempt, like an ideal path. There are so many uh, opportunities for you know, bouncing from enemy to enemy that are optional, but ideal. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think I, I like that. I think it shows real craftsmanship and an attention to detail that I greatly appreciate. It is a fucking nightmare in local co-op. <laughs> well, I think every, I, I, I want to come back to that. Yeah. Um, mm. but, I, I've seen like like design examinations of Mario before, and every Mario is designed that way. It does have that, but mm. it doesn't feel as like stringently as enforced. Yeah, exactly. Um, like you look at like World One One of the very first Mario Brothers, and it is basically those levels are designed that if you know where you're you're going, um, and or you have that groove, you never have to stop. Mm-hmm. And that mm. is one thing that uh, Mario levels have always sort of had as a philosophy. If you hit the right point, you never have to stop. But It's so funny that that's like how Sonic always portrayed itself as being, and, and I don't mm. feel as ever really ex- successfully oh, no, executed. No. It's, yeah, it's yeah. explicitly designed, like classic Sonic is explicitly designed, that there is stopping and there yeah. is waiting. Um, and, and, you know, there are... Not every Mario level sticks to that philosophy. You know, I think about a lot of sort of Mario 3 levels with platforms that you moved by jumping on them right. to change direction. There is some of that, but the the platonic ideal of the Mario level is that there's an optimum route, and if you hit the stride with it, you go from left to right, and it's gorgeous. Um, but, as you say... There is a little more enforcement on this. It's a little more obvious that there is a route that they want you to take. And the co-op is an interesting thing that you threw in there. Yeah. So we didn't... I didn't talk much last week about the the online multiplayer stuff. Because I didn't really play online in order to be like, Hey, Nintendo, don't pay attention to me. But I... Weird, like before we get to like the the local co-op, I weirdly enjoy what they're doing with the sort of asynchronous online. Like I've seen people describe it as the Dark Souls multiplayer, and kind of, mm-hmm. um, where if you can put down standees, you know, one somewhere in a level, and when you go into the level, you get spawned in with three other players who don't interact with you ninety nine percent of the time, uh, but. If they die, they they've got five seconds to get back to what to to your standee. Or if you die, you can get to them in five seconds and pop back into the world. It's also true of the the ghost of them playing in real time as well. If you touch yes. that, you can. And that has saved me some restarts here and there. And here's the thing: like largely in most of the game, I didn't make a huge amount of use of that. 
But where that really, I, I really got a good sense of community out of that, was some of the optional really fucking hard levels you can find, like these special stages. There is a really lovely thing that happens sometimes where, like, um, one of them was an auto-scrolling level, and without being able to communicate with words with other players, me and another player were going through the level at kind of similar times, but, like, not close enough in scroll to help each other out. So one of us waited after a death until the other one died, and we both sort of went and synced up our start of the <laughs> auto-scroll so that we could do the auto-scroll together and, like, back and forth help each other on the little tricky segments. And that was, like, a moment I went and, like, talked about afterwards. I was like, I've had this really lovely little experience for, like, 15 minutes with one other person in the world I can't talk to. Like, we're going to do this together. And having yeah. that little moment of connection. The online... Is brilliant. It's, yeah. yeah. I've always been a f fan of it. Like, I have my issues with the Fable series, but I really liked it in Fable 2 because that was a really, like, rudimentary attempt at what we see now with this mm. kind of asynchronous multiplayer stuff. You'd see little, like, glowing orbs in Fable, I think it was 2, um, that showed you where players were at that moment. And that was about mm. it. And then that developed into seeing the... Um, the, the little phantoms of players in Dark, uh, Demon Souls and Dark Souls. Um, we've seen it in other games too. Um, I really like it in this, not just for the practical elements, but just yeah, seeing other players having fun at the same time as you. And Half the time that's it, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and I've had those moments. Um, there are levels seemingly designed for it where there are like, items uh collectibles hidden in a level and you've got to find five like yes. items that are hidden and you will work wordlessly with other players yeah. leaving those little stands where there are hidden platforms or like using the little because you can you can send a little emote and like i've done it i found a route and then i've stood there and i've just spammed the um the emote and people have followed and i feel great for that yeah there's one I think of specifically where, like, there was a coin and it was under a series of uh, bricks. And you couldn't get into it unless you, like, hit a big spiky ball to, like, get in there. And people were, like, standing around it trying to work out how to get in. So I stood inside where the coin was so they could all see, oh, you got in there, how did you do it? I spammed the emote a couple of times and ran over where I needed to go. And they came and followed me. And I tried to sort of mime out what they needed to do to lead them to it. Those are really nice it's little adorable. moments, right? <laughs> I mean, obviously, if you're playing offline, you're fucked with some of those levels. <laughs> the, the ones that seem very designed to help each other out. There is at least one of those hidden coin hunting ones where one of the coins was absolute fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah, you see, there is so there is some of that where it's Nintendo doing yeah. that thing it does where it railroads a feature, but the feature is very good. When Demon's Souls was new. I once wrote an article called something mildly hyperbolic, like it's the ultimate multiplayer experience or something, where I talked about those little phantoms. Because obviously you see the bloodstains that can show you how a player yeah. died, but every now and then you see a, a white ghostly impression of a player who's in the same area, and you're just seeing what they're doing in real time. And then they disappear after a few seconds. And that was such an encouraging thing in those games mm. because those games are very isolating and lonely experiences for the most part by design i love that about them i really like 
I, I, I find a sort of um, evocativeness to the bleakness of those games. But those little glimmers of you're not going through this on your own mm. is really encouraging. And there's a similar encouragement in this. It's not so much the sort of, you know, you're having a, a bleak, suffery time in Mario Wonder, of course. Um, although a Mario with the atmosphere of a Dark Souls I would play the shit out of. Although they came mm. close, didn't they, with, um, was it Mario 3D? Uh, yeah, Mario or... uh, Bowser's Fury in yeah. a couple of places had that. And, like, they had one dragon boss fight in Mario yes. Odyssey <laughs> that kind of had that vibe. Yeah. Like, they can put Mario in that vibe, yeah. and it's great when but, they do. But for Wonder, it's more like, you know, here are all the other players having fun at the same time as you. Yeah. And there's a sort of... It's not competitive, but when you... Because you get a little notification that shows you yeah. when someone's completed the level. And it's it's not so much competitive, but it makes me feel like, oh, i got to catch up. This person, yeah. like all these people that started the level at the same time as me, they're starting to complete it. I want to go and complete it. I want to join in. And I really like that. It's it's a very subtle way of, of keeping you in the game, which as someone who has struggled to find that groove, that's gone a significant way to keeping me in because... I'm seeing all these other people playing it at the same time. And it's not like Demon's Souls or Dark Souls where you just see little glimmers. You're seeing ghosts all over the shop. And I, I like that. Mm. I have issues with the standees. Not the standees themselves. So any any listener that hasn't played it, you can... If you crouch and press a button, you leave a little like cardboard cutout of your character. Mm. And as Laura said, uh, if someone dies, they can like shunt their little ghost over and touch it and respawn. Or you can use it to mark hidden paths or just show that mm. you finished something. Yeah. I like that. And there's a collectible element. And I love yes. that because I like mm -hmm. my pogs and my, you know, mini boglins, little collectible shit. But I have some issues from a pure cosmetic preference mm. point of view and as someone who likes collectibles. I'm kind of disappointed that you only get standees of the playable characters and can only drop the stands <laughs> of the one you're playing. And there's the ones you collect and unlock, they come in very like different versions of the character. Like, you know, yeah. here's Daisy, because I've been playing Daisy, here's Daisy with the drill costume here's daisy's an elephant and they randomly drop during a level when you use one and i don't mind that but i got excited at first because i was like oh man i want a dry bones one and there is no dry bones one because it's just the yeah. characters and in one way i understand why they're doing it because they want to telegraph the character yeah. you are but they don't need to do that because no, your name I... is above it and yeah. i would rather have been able to collect lots of stands and then have one I choose to be my personal stamp um, with an option maybe to make them yeah. random but I want lots of different Mario characters and I also hate how you spend 10 coins for them, get them at random, often not the character you're playing as or would ever mm. play as and you can get doubles so those I, are my annoyances I, with it I, I will note for that very quickly um, I I agree with you in terms of what I wanted out of this. I understand why they're doing it, mainly because 
I believe they don't spawn you into a level with duplicate online players who are playing the same character, and they want you to be able to, if you haven't been reading the names of who you're multiplayering as, it's like, oh, Yo- uh, Yoshi helped me, uh, Luigi helped me. And I, I get it. I don't know if you found it, there is a store where you can buy standees of a specific character that are guaranteed not to be duplicates. That I have not found. They are a little more expensive. They're 30 purple coins rather than 10. But you can guarantee which character they'll be and they won't be duplicates. It's up in the... You have to beat one of the special stages and get to Special World and that's where you get them. That will save me more money. I I was annoyed at first, but the amount of money I've spent with duplicates and like... Yeah. uh, Nabbit, which I would play... If you could actually like do accessibility properly and select the safety features for any character, I'd play as Nabbit all the time. I want to play as Blue Yoshi, but I don't want to play on on uh, no damage mode. Yeah. But I can't, because those two things are inherently linked, and I wish that it was an on-off toggle rather than this character is these settings. Yeah. It fucking annoys me, because I love that the accessibility features are there, but yeah. personally I don't want to play that way because... You know, it would trivialise what I want out of these games. I can tell you the kind of thinking that leads to this being the design choice you make, is some focus group somewhere said, I don't want to feel like I'm picking easy mode. I don't want to go into a setting that says I'm picking easy and and have to do that. And the lesson that gets learned by a developer is, okay, well, we make a character the easy mode, so it's not like you're going in and picking easy mode, you're just picking a character. Like, it's... The intent is to remove a barrier between a person who needs that assistance and feeling like they need that assistance. There are better ways to do it. But it is... Yeah, there are better ways to do it. Yeah, they have the silver leaf in other games. Or, or like, give them a little hard hat or something. Like, Mario hard hat mode. Like, something like that. Just don't call it, like, easy mode. And you'll get past it. I had some people try and just... Because I talked about it on Twitter. There were different justifications people offered. Another one was, well, tying it to a character makes it easily communicated. So you don't have to go in a menu. My answer to that is, that fucking caterpillar that rides on my fucking back has told me three fucking times how to change badges and offers to change them for me every time I get a new one. These games never shut the fuck up over explaining things they've already explained. You would not struggle to find an easy toggle if it were there. You would not struggle. I will say I'm glad that easy mode is not a badge that takes up your only badge slot, yes. which is like, it would yes. have been so easy for that to have been That's how they true. did it. I'm, so, I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, and I wasn't saying like they should tie it to badges, I'm just using it as an example. No, no, no. I'm not saying they should. It was just a, th- a thought of, oh yeah. god, they really could have done that. They, they, they dodged a Final Fantasy sixteen there. Um, what do you think of those, by the way, the badges? The badges? I really like them. I think they do a really good job of changing your moveset just enough uh, to be like, sometimes I will get to a level and go, that one's going to help. Um, mm. I've largely stuck to a small handful of them, but I like that the options are there. I fucking love the... Um, Never stop running, you can't stop running. Uh, Watching speedrunners learn how to play around with that has been fantastic. I like the system, even if a lot of the badges are very situational and not the ones I'm going to use minute to minute. See, I like the badges. I like the weird ones. You know, like, you're always bouncing, or, you know, that kind of stuff. I think that's a really interesting uh, thing. 
but I find most of the badges to be kind of annoying, and I look for the least offensive one to have on, <laughs> like the one that's not going to impede my ability to do other things that I'm used to I... doing. And And the thing is, I realize that I could just not wear one, and yet I mm. don't. I don't know what's up mm. with that, uh, but I've got the, the like the crouch jump on because that's something that I'm probably not going to accidentally do, you know. Yeah, they have nice ones like that, like the one yeah. the crouch yeah. jump, the one that like just lets you run a bit faster. Yep. Like mm. I like that one. I like the one that adds random blocks. Mm. Like, yeah, it does make some parts easier. I mean, I don't necessarily care about easier. Um, I just don't want like trivial personally. Yeah, but it's just a cute little thing. Yeah. I like that you can change badge uh during the I I died mid level and I'm going back yes. to the checkpoint that you can you don't have to quit the level which means if you like die and realize that would have been easier with a different badge you don't have to restart the level. There is one I really like that's a later on one that's a bit wild but I've been really enjoying which I've seen people describe it as like the Spider-Man badge where you like shoot out like a vine uh sideways that like can latch onto things and pull you over oh, to not them. I've got that. That sounds fun. It's not always useful, but anytime you find a use for it, it feels really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Personally, I've had like a absolutely fucking fantastic time with this game. Barely a complaint to be had. The one complaint I have, and it's a very minor one, but it's something that frustrated me a little. And it's not even such a problem now that the game is like fully out and there are like walkthroughs online. Sometimes a stage will have a secret exit hidden somewhere in it that will lead to a whole other string of levels that you might not otherwise mm. see. Mm. And I don't mind that. What I dislike is the way that this game uh, talks about 100% completion of a level. So if you look on like the pause menu and at the, the courses screen and go, have I done everything in this level? It's like, yes, you've got all the, all the coins and it says you've got all of the... Uh, the wonder seeds from this level and you've got the flagpole and whatever, it sure gives you the message that you have 100%ed that level. Even if there is a secret exit to be found that will have another wonder seed and will lead to something else. I don't like that it is kind of misleading about implying you have 100%ed a level when you haven't. And like three quarters of the way into the game, there is a badge that will alert you to secrets. And the intention is for you to then go backwards and use that badge to find those kind of things that, like, oh, we told you you'd 100% the level, but you haven't, the badge is going off. I don't like that. Yeah, and it's not... Lie. It's Yeah. I, it frustrates me that the game lies to me about the state of my completion, but it's not a huge issue in a world where I can just go, cool, where are the secret exits? Uh, at some point toward the end of the game, I'll just Google secret exits and see which ones I missed. Um, that's my biggest complaint about it, and it's pretty minor. My biggest complaint is the local co-op. It is yeah. a miserable experience. I I'm... I hated it. Oh yeah. Oh my I'm, god. I'm curious. It's because the level design is so good, and it is <laughs> it, it is yeah. so compelled for motion that if you have someone who is not acting in accordance with the general flow it can cause problems the i i it, it's a mystery to me how it determines who is the person who is controlling the camera look like who who which player the camera is affixed to i don't know how it chooses that but it just 
chooses it and then will change it when someone dies or... I think I know the rules for it, and I might be wrong, but I believe it's... It defaults to who um, finished higher up the flagpole on the last level, got more coins, was like crowned the winner of the last level. If someone dies during the level, they get undefaulted from having right. screen priority. Yeah. It sucks. It fucking sucks. And woe betide having a, a Yoshi in your group. Oh, yeah, sure, it sounds fun. It sounds convenient. It'd be like, oh, I'll be able to carry this person places. And it is occasionally useful for, like, getting to a higher spot, you know, using that Yoshi to jump off the back or whatever. But don't get anywhere fucking near them otherwise. Unless you intend to be on the back of that Yoshi, you stay far <laughs> the fuck away from that Yoshi. Because you're going to land on its goddamn back and it's going to get you killed. Like, there's just so many... If if you had independent control of the screen, it wouldn't matter. Online, I am sure it is. It would be wonderful, you know, uh, to 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 do these sorts of things. But it, it, it just does not work in co-op the way these stages are designed. Someone on Twitter talked to me about how they were helping... Like, they were playing with their four-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. And the four-year-old played as Mario and... The parent basically just rode them through the level as Yoshi, which right. is incredibly sweet. But I think, sure. again, speaks to what we talked of, where Nintendo has a set railroading use for things. And that's what Yoshi's there for. Mm -hmm. Yoshi is there to escort. So if someone is playing outside of that, they give you a bad time, Conrad. Like, yes. that's... That's the thing. They Nintendo has its little vision, and if you play outside of it, they haven't really thought about you. Yep. I, yep. I will say one thing about this that is less infuriating that, than multiplayer in, in a lot of the new Super Mario Brothers ones. I don't know how many of those you played. No, um, like the first one. No. Uh, so the big difference for those was... You used to have collision with other players. That's true. Where they couldn't mm. like knock you into holes and knock you out of the way and like even pick you up and throw you in holes. I this is I'm preferable. glad to yeah. see that gone. Yeah. I'm glad to see that gone, but yeah, I get you. Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah, that's been my I, the game's otherwise fucking great and I've really enjoyed it and I will likely get back to finish it sometime this week. Because, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. And I don't mind that it is tiring to play and that I have to put it down and come back. Because the content that's in there is compelling and interesting enough for me to want to come back to it. I like it. Yeah. 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 Uh, so we're, we're like 40 minutes in on a game that we talked a bit about <laughs> last week. Um, I, I can get this one out of the way real quick. Um, Finish Sonic Superstars. Good game that could have been great if not for, like, three infuriating boss fights. That's the review. Yeah. There's, like, three boss fights at the end of that game that really fucking bring down my opinion of it from great to good with a caveat. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Those, those bosses fucking kill it. Like, in the moment. Without going into, like, huge depth, the problem of maybe the last three or so bosses is... One of them has one-hit instant kill attacks that can one-hit instant kill you even through invincibility frames. One of them is just way too lengthy with way too few opportunities to manage your rings should a single mistake happen during that very long level. And then the final one is, what if we compounded those issues? 
way too long of a fight with way too many slightly cheap things going on. And, like, the three of those back-to-back just really kind of screw up the flow of the game. Yep, pretty much. Like, I I posted my review the other day and pretty much said the same thing. Um, Great levels. Some of some really, especially some of the later level concepts, really good. Um, And then the bosses stopped me wanting to replay those levels. Speaking of, of games we can briefly touch on, I did want to bring up a demo I just finished um, before yeah. we started recording, um, which I'm pretty sure you've heard of it. I don't know if you, I can't remember if you've ever mentioned it, but it's a game called Sorry We're Closed. It's basically an incredibly gay Silent Hill. Oh, this one. Yes, I, 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 have, I have seen this one. Yeah. Yes. I played the demo. God, I'm sad I, I finished the demo. I want to play that. Yeah. It's really good. So it's it's clearly very, very inspired by Silent Hill. Um, you're a, a woman who's being seemingly stalked or targeted in some way by a demon who says that she's very lonely and you are too and you should, like, be together. Um, and she's very creepy and just seems to want to impose her love on you. You end up in some weird, like, demon world. And funnily enough, like, as I'm playing Lords of the Fallen, it's got the similar dual world thing. You press a button to open your third eye and your, like, a radius around you shows you the other reality. And you use that to, like, solve some puzzles and stuff. Uh, Combat, you switch to a first-person mode. And they've got an interesting little mechanic where you can shoot the demons in the demon world and they take uh, a good few shots to go down if you open up that your third eye any demon that comes within range of that will have a weak spot glowing and while they're in that mode only the weak spot will hurt them but it deals way more damage and saves a ton of ammo so it's got that little risk reward thing where to save ammo you have to be so accurate that missing will waste the bullet but the reward is worth it plus the the so far at least in the demo those weak points uh, they're signaled by these really nice stylized heart graphics they're not too hard to hit visually i really like it it's got that psx style going for it that a lot of indie games have sort of been going for these days but Really nice visual design. The monsters are cool. The characters are really nicely designed. And all of them have like like very big queer aesthetic going on, uh, which obviously awesome. Yeah, I the demo takes like 20 minutes, maybe half hour at a push to, to finish. And I am sad I've done it because it's not out till next year. And I really want to play it. I really, really want to play it. So, yes, uh, if you like your survival horror, and it's so playable and not annoying because there have been so many of these throwback survival horror games that give you the PSX graphics and they say, this is great, it's just like Resident Evil or it's just like Silent Hill. And then you get something like Vaccine, which is just a mess that controls like shit with awful combat because they believed that fucking lie that perpetuated for decades that Resident Evil was scary because the controls were shit. That was 
that was one of the biggest detriment to indie horror games. That myth. Where, oh no, tank controls made it scary. No, it didn't. It made it bad. But this <laughs> game has really tight controls and a really nice combat system. And it's added that to the aesthetic and the general mood of PSX Silent Hill. Um, with some really nice dialogue as well, like like really well written. So yeah, sorry we're closed. Uh, demo uh, out on Steam. If any of that sounded like your thing, then I very recommend checking that demo out. What about you, Conrad? You played anything else this week? I did. Um, I was sent a review code for a Metroidvania uh, called Ooh. Ebenezer and the Invisible World. Comes out 3rd November and I have played a bit of it. So this is fascinating to me. Uh, premise, I am 100% on board with. The Ebenezer of Ebenezer and the Invisible World is the only Ebenezer you know. Yeah. Right? It's Scrooge from A Christmas Carol, and it is set after the events of that story. And he has had his, you know, grand revelation and is, you know, going to be a, a good person to all and so on and so forth. As a result of this experience, is able to see ghosts. Okay. <sighs> the, 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 the door between worlds has been opened and cannot be shut. Right. <laughs> and he is approached by another ghost who attempted to do the same thing for his childhood friend that Marley had done for Scrooge. He saw that, you know, his life was going down oh a, a bad path. I love this. And he went and he got the Christmas ghosts and they did the whole thing. And the person in question is the heir to this wealthy industrialist family who has been oppressing the working poor of london for generations <laughs> and their family's goal is to build an infernal engine that will eliminate the need <laughs> for labor altogether <sighs> and so when he is visited by the christmas ghosts the Ghost of Christmas Future presents his vision. He is shown the point in his life at the very end when he finishes his family's dark work and then dies and it falls and shatters to the floor, becoming rendering it meaningless. And so he's devastated and he's all ready to turn his life around. And then some other spirit comes up behind him and says, hey, wait a minute. They just showed you this thing. You could probably just like get a jump on finishing it. <laughs> <laughs> This is brilliant. It's really, really a clever fucking story. I love the ideas. As you travel around London, you encounter other ghosts that have additional little quests for you, things for you to find, objects for you to hit, things like that, that will resolve their own stories in terms of allowing them to help mortals that they want to assist. And once you've accomplished those, they join you. And these represent, you know, the powers that you use to navigate in a Metroidvania, but they also become your secondary weapons that you can cycle between, and everybody's different. The first one you get has an upward strike uh, capacity. Uh, there's uh, another one that gives you the downward strike that does a little bit of damage, but he also is like your double jump that only works in specific areas after you get him with you little balloons will have appeared in the environment that you can oh. bounce off of 
it's doing all of the stuff and it's doing it all pretty well. The movements, my only complaint is it feels a bit stiff. The, the timing on attacks doesn't feel quite the best. There's that, that's the one problem I have. Other than that, I'm delighted. I'm absolutely delighted by this premise, this world uh, that they're building of uh, Industrial Revolution London. Um, it, it's very cool. The the art is some of these enemy designs because you fight both cops and um, ghosts that are just wandering around, and some of these spirits are really horrifying. Like uh, there's this one I can't even. It, the things from Half-Life, the head crabs. Oh, the head crabs. Yeah. yeah. Imagine a head crab, but there's a face on the back of the head crab. Uh-huh. It's, yeah, there's some really cool designs here. Um, I like this game a lot so far. And uh, I, I will I will be playing more and, and seeing through to the conclusion because it's, it's very clever. And, uh, Is it on, what system is it on? It's going to be on everything. Um, but it's, it'll, yeah, it's, uh, I'm playing it on steam right now, but, uh, yeah, it's, it should be coming to all the consoles. I yeah. am playing that like, no, yeah. no question. Yeah. That, that, that sounds real heckin' interesting. It's pretty neat. Uh, worth, worth checking yeah. out. So Ebenezer and the invisible world. Couple of other things I'm going to very quickly crack out. Um, there's a new Vampire Survivors update, it's free, it adds another stage and another character and another weapon and another evolution for an existing character, and there's not a huge amount to say about it other than it's additional Vampire Survivors, I will always take an excuse to hop back in for a little bit more Vampire Survivors, huzzah. Um, the other thing that I've been playing around with a bit this week, and I will probably talk about more next week, is I've started playing around with the Quest 3, the uh, new VR headset. And the big difference with this one is it has a, a big focus on mixed reality. So being able to do pass-through and like see a colour video feed of what your eyes would be seeing while you're in the headset and have games happen in the space you're inhabiting. Quick first impressions, for little games that are not, like, hugely involving, it's really nice to be able to do them without feeling quite so shut off from the world in VR. Uh, there was a game called Cubism I've been playing, which is just like a little, here is a shape, a 3D shape, uh, uh, sort of outline, and a bunch of shapes, and you've got to fit them all inside without any overlap, uh, overhanging or any gaps missing. And it's just a sort of manipulating things in 3D space kind of game. And it's nice to be able to, like, look over at the TV and see what is on the TV. Or look over at Jane and be like, oh, hey, what are you playing over there? And, like, be able to see what's going on while playing a, a motion-controlled game in physical space. That's pretty neat. The other one I will mention briefly, and it's just... I'm thankful to have found it just because of how disappointed I was by a different VR game earlier this year. Uh... Earlier this year, I found a VR uh, drumming game on PSVR 2 called Ragnarok, and I really fucking enjoyed that game until I realized that, like, 80% of that soundtrack, uh, because it is a game that, like, includes a bunch of, like, Viking and pirate metal, like, 80% of that soundtrack is bands that have credible allegations of sexism, racism, homophobia, or some combination thereof in them, and it really soured me on that game, and it was really disappointing, because 
it was a very satisfying drumming music rhythm game. I found a new one called Smash Drums. Smash Drums uh, gets around this by largely having unknown artists you probably haven't heard of making up its soundtrack, but the soundtrack does have a lot of really good tracks. Um, so huzzah, from what I've seen, no big controversies to do with any of the bands I've seen in it so far, so that is enough for me to feel good about, about playing it. Um, drums sort of race towards you as if you were the, the line on the Guitar Hero note track, and you sort of hit the drums as they come in, but they come into the position they would be on a drum kit as you hit them. Compared to Ragnarok, which was just, like, a couple of, like, basic drums in front of you, this is a proper drum kit, and it much more emulates actually playing a drum kit rather than this is a percussion video game that you are hitting drums but not, like, drumming. Uh, very much enjoying that so far. That is going to be a game I put a lot of time into, I suspect. Uh, I will have more to say about those in future. Steph, you played anything else this week? Um, I've been playing around with an Evercade, but I think I'm going to wait till next week. Uh, to really get into my issues with that. Um, the only other thing I really played of note, and there's not a lot to say about it because it's been talked about for decades now, is um, uh, Metal Gear Solid, because they re-released those <sighs> now. Um, I've heard some rough things about that collection. <laughs> uh, I I can't speak to many rough things so far. I've been playing the original, uh, like the old PSX Metal Gear Solid. I've been having a nice nostalgic time with it. I will say that the very first thing I did was open the in-game book that has mm-hmm. like lots of cool like, little history notes and, and stuff about the story and the development. And the very first thing I saw was the table of contents and in massive letters, explanation of Metal Gear Solid. And I just uh. rolled my eyes and went, oh, Konami. The immediacy of a fuck up, because typos happen. But this is like one of the big, bold table of contents lists. And it was Mm. the first thing my eye was drawn to was this word that wasn't real. Explanation. Um, And it is meant to be explanation. I've had people wondering if it was meant to be expansion or something. Um, But no, no. Explanation. I don't know if if it's typo-ridden. I know that one's a huge oversight to be that big. Because like I say, typos happen. I do them a lot. Um, but that was hilarious. It was the very first thing I saw. Mm. Uh, other than that, I'm not sure. I haven't I haven't seen anything else too bad yet. But it is Konami. They fuck up in all sorts of interesting ways. I... I've heard scattered accounts of some weird experiences, and I was curious okay. if they were, like, widespread or not. There's a clip I saw of someone, like, pressing the pause button and it taking, like, mm, way longer than it should do for the pause menu to come up, and a few weird things like that happening. Okay. Well, I'll keep an eye out. Uh, something tells me if there are going to be fuck-ups, it's going to be on the PS2 games, on, on MGS2 mm. and 3. I mean, I almost want to say how hard is it to emulate Metal Gear Solid, the first one, but then again, Konami. I think we all remember what they did with the Silent Hill collection. One of the reasons I got blacklisted by Konami was my 4 out of 10 for that awful, awful remaster. That and I called them cunts. That probably didn't help. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, this is the thing. Sorry, I, I, I don't know source on this, but someone in my Discord mentioned uh, yesterday, apparently Konami have packaged Metal Gear Solid 1's ISO to emulate it on PC, <laughs> not build a PC port. Um, <laughs> yeah, and specifically the ISO is not a good one. It is the one that has compressed audio with half the music missing, has more video option, like, there should be more video options. There's some weird stuff of, like, some of this is just, uh, like, ISO files they plugged in. They're so bad. Yeah. So You uh, have to try to be this bad. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Has anyone else played anything else this week, or should we uh, rattle through the news? Yeah, let's do news. Let's do the news. Um, In a story that feels like it's happening constantly at the moment... Yet another game developer has forced their employees to uh, return to working in the office uh, or or get fired. Those are your options. This time it is the developers of Roblox. Their CEO says, uh, We're an innovation company and we needed to get back to working in person. So you either work in the office part-time again or uh, here's your severance package, get out. So you're innovating child labor, right? That's that's their innovation, right? Child labor? Yeah, because I think it's been done before, yeah. guys. Do you know who came out in favour of um, uh, forcing people back to uh, the office? Hmm. John Blow. Oh, really? Now that doesn't surprise uh, me. A lovely mutual friend, Holly Green, pointed out some of the shit that John Blow's been saying. He's always mm-hmm. been a bit of and a liking. Yeah. Oh. Oh. It, that's not a secret. It's been that way for yeah, a fucking while. I didn't know this. Like I've I've never been too fond of his attitudes. Like he he's just never been pleasant. Like I don't agree with a lot of his points, but it's the way he makes them, they're always framed in a way that's got to denigrate others. Yes. He is very used to being I am the face of an entire segment of the games industry, or at least at one point I was, yeah. and I'm used to being treated like I am the center of everything. He does what I do for a joke, but in real. Well, I think he suffers from one of those problems where, in a lot of circumstances over the course of his life, he has been the smartest person in the room. Yes, but specifically, he has interpreted that as I should talk to other people like they're definitely not the, as, uh, the smartest person in the room. That's it exactly because I think that there is legitimate claim to have been him being the smartest person in many a room over the course of his life, but that doesn't yeah. you know <laughs> give you license to be an asshole about it. He talks to people who are not himself like they are inherently lesser because they aren't him, right. the previous smartest man in the room. Yes, but that's how I used to think about him. My opinion's gone lower since I found out that he's basically a fucking turf. Mm. Yeah, he's 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 that. He's an anti-vaxxer. He's gone full deep into the fucking transphobe, MAGA, fascist. Like, yes, there's for some reason it's surprising coming from him because he's he's been a libertarian. He's he was on the verge of this a long, long time. Oh, you see, I didn't know that. I, I, I. rescind what i said if he's a libertarian it makes complete fucking sense <laughs> i'm surprised to hear you say that i've always had like the the worst fucking vibe about him hearing oh, the, had a weird uh, hearing vibe. the stuff the stuff about this just did not surprise me yeah. at all i think it's just i didn't expect him to be this like balls deep mask off about it mm. yeah so it was a bit i i would say i wasn't shocked i was just 
so yeah, yeah, I, di- yeah. I didn't know about all of that. And, um, you know, just assuming. By the way, same goes for, um, I forgot to mention it on Jimquisition. I did bring it up on Twitter. Stray Souls, that horror game I mentioned on Jimquisition a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, turns out that that guy also... Uh, the director of that game is also a uh, transphobic, racist piece of shit. So, welcome to the fun game you get to play now of like which pieces of media that I have enjoyed turn out to be from people who hate me. We got a research. I had to do this last year when I talked about a, a game on Podquisition, and someone got really angry with me and was like, "How dare you promote that monster's game?" And I'm like, "I didn't know he was a monster. I just played it. My Steam Deck said it was great on deck. It didn't tell me he was racist." <laughs> this was my experience with Ragnarok, where I. I really enjoyed playing it. I put one clip of me playing one song on Twitter to go, I re- I'm really enjoying this game. I particularly enjoyed this song. And it turned out that song was from a band that were like very recently at the nexus of, oh, the band had a group chat where they were throwing around slurs and being misogynist and being transphobic. And I was like, oh, just can't love anything no, anymore. It is a real shame. <sighs> uh, See, so yeah, John Blow, bit of a wally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other we got a couple of stories here about not particularly great games we can quickly address. A game got pulled off the Switch eShop uh, this week because it was a game about drunk driving that received a age three plus age rating <laughs> from from Peggy. Uh, it was it was called uh, I like it was called Need for Spirit Drink and Drive Simulator. Uh, the description, uh, you play a hapless <laughs> professional driver tasked with delivering alcoholic beverages uh, while battling the perils of abysmal roads and your own addiction to the booze you're transporting. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. I feel like I shouldn't laugh, and yet I will. No, but you kind of have to. It's so stupid. Um, yeah, it got a 3 plus age rating on the eShop. Peggy have pointed out games that refer to or depict... Um, Drugs, alcohol, or tobacco have to be a 16 or an 18. Uh, this probably shouldn't have been a 3+. plus. Yeah, I, that, these digital releases, they you know, they have uh, the iARC system. It's all self-reported. Yes. This is the system we talked about the other week for Fortnite is going to use for all of its user-generated, like, third-party content going forward. Right, and so these sorts of things can slip through the cracks if the people who are uploading their information neglect to tick a box in a place or things like like they might this could even just have been an accident i suspect it is an accident because it does have a 16 peggy rating on the epic store Mm. which means they presumably submitted a correct rating on pc Mm -hmm. and then had to do the form again on switch and maybe misclicked yeah like it's it's more fun to imagine a world in which they thought they were going to get away with this and i want to believe in that right. world but i suspect it's not the i case. would have infinite respect for the dev if they sent out a solemn jpeg that said i'm so sorry i was drunk when i filled out the form. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's just branding that's that's just a yeah. good branding yeah. exercise on a similar note, a game we didn't talk about last week, and I I, I held off on this because I, I thought there was going to be maybe more to it. 
Have either of you seen the King Kong game that was doing the rounds last week? Uh, I've seen it on storefronts. I've seen complaints about it. I was very curious to try it because I, seeing it on the storefront, I was like, okay, I heard nothing about Skull Island coming out as a video game. This can't be a good sign. Yeah. So I've played a bit of this. Uh, Skull Island Rise of Kong is a very rushed game. And the reason most people who are aware of it are aware of it is because there were clips going around on Twitter of unfinished cutscenes. And what I mean by that is in the finished game, uh, there's like there's a there's a confrontation between King Kong and a dinosaur, and it's like 3D model of, of King Kong, you know, growling. You know, back and forth between 3D models. And then it cuts at one point to the dinosaur and it's just a JPEG. And it's not even <laughs> And it's not even filling the whole screen. It's oh, clearly a JPEG this. floating in 3D space. Um, like, it's it's that kind of unfinished. That and is... I didn't... Yeah. I don't know if I've seen that in, in... Outside of, like, asset flips, where, like, I've, I've seen games with missing executables. I don't know if I've seen a game with a license so rushed that they had placeholder JPEGs in the finished In the game. finished And here's the thing. Even outside of that, it's janky as fuck. It's not a good game. Um, but I wanted to wait because I was like, there's gonna be a story about, like, what the fuck went on with this. Um, and we have a bit of the story now. Um, uh, so the game was developed by Iguanabee, uh, who apparently do a lot of work on, like, licensed games. They were given a year start to finish by their publisher, Game Mill, to do the whole game. Game Mill? Like, literally I'm to... sorry, hang on. The publisher's name is Game Mill? <laughs> yes. And Game and Game Mill... That's just good branding, just to bring it back to the, <laughs> the other game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Game Mill are apparently pretty, pretty well known at this point for getting a license you've heard of and crunching a, a developer for, for like a year at most to throw a thing out the door that's ah. probably a bit rushed. Uh, just to read a quote from one of the team of 20 developers that had a year to make a full game. The development process of this game was started in June of last year, and it was aimed to end on the 2nd of June this year. Mm. Yeah. According to uh, a former employee of, of developer Iguanabe, who didn't work on this game but worked on other game mill published titles, it was very common for the team to be given limited information on the project they were developing, meaning they had to just improvise. We're not really going to tell you what you're making, just, like, start making a thing, and we'll, we'll tell you at some point in the year what, like, Holy license we're plugging shit. into this or whatever. <laughs> it's sort of brilliant. Like, that is scummy. But the idea of just to make a generic basic game, and then we'll tell you what clothes to put on the skeleton, like, there's a twisted genius to that. Yeah. Like, if you were running a company called Game Mill, that's brilliant yeah. as an idea. <laughs> yeah, so the developers apparently crun were in crunch mode from February this year up until the October release. Oh, crunch God. that much of its development cycle. Um, yeah. Um, I mean... It's not great. I've argued for a long time that, like... You've got plenty of science out there showing that crunch doesn't work, that like forcing yeah. overtime and overworking people doesn't work. And I think we can point to many games 
where the quality is not where it should be. But yeah. I think this, you've got a year to do it. It's... Just work harder. And and that's the result. I think that is the... Sounds like... Because obviously I need to play it and I do need to see what this is. Yeah. Um, but it, it sounds like the perfect answer to anyone who thinks crunch works it's here's the thing this is the reason why i wanted to hold off until i knew more before talking about it because i i played some of this last week and i'm not i'm i'm reluctant to to suggest people pick it up because it sounds like it would be rewarding some pretty bad fucking uh, practices from the publisher necessarily but as someone who has picked it up i think it is fascinating as much as it is hilarious. Um, It is a game that the choices of where to cut corners to make it functionally happen is something you can definitely learn interesting lessons from. It is a surprisingly it-functions-start-to-finish game for a game that has such glaring, easy-to-fix problems present. And that is a weird mix you don't often see that is clearly born out of it's gotta get out the door they're not paying us anything more it's gotta go uh but from a team that probably cared about the gameplay they were putting out it is a weird mess of a thing yeah a couple of other quick stories we've got you know how we've talked recently about how nintendo of america has like a class system where contract workers are treated like absolute fucking dog shit Mm. yep they've got little colored badges and everything yeah, they are like, you know, like there was that there was that story that someone told you that I think you mentioned on the gym position the other week of like Reggie snarled at them when they tried to talk to them or something to like that I effect. Had, yeah, um the exact quote because it's one of the favorite things anyone in the industry has ever told me. Um I politely smiled to Reggie. Uh he snarled at me like I had three heads and a hard on. <laughs> But, you know, from all accounts of those, you know, all of those contractor stories tell of the people who have permanent, like, employed positions at Nintendo of America have, you know, are very happy there because they're not getting treated like shit. I I feel like that is important context to remind everyone of because I'm going to read you a quote here from Nintendo of America President Doug Bowser. Nintendo doesn't have unions because of uh, their high degree of job satisfaction and engagement. We don't need we don't need unions here. Everyone is happy as long as you don't ask the contractors how they feel about things. Every full time employee of Nintendo fucking loves us. We don't need unions. Have these um, people ever like read or watched the Stepford Wives? Because it's all <sighs> I think about when I and Nintendo especially like. Going all the way back to what was it, two thousand six, with their their E three press conference about putting smiles on faces and how everyone at Nintendo is so happy. Um, and you had that that lady who just had a like rictus death grin on the whole time, and it's just creepy. Yeah, and it amazes me that corporations, after all these years, still don't understand how creepy it is when they try and come across like friends, uh, like it's one big happy family. And Nintendo especially, like, I'm sorry, but when a when a corporation tells me how happy its workforce is and speaks for them, I am more suspicious mm. of, of a company that yeah. 
just outright fucking anyway, didn't they try and union bust I was about to say this so <laughs> that just hit me <laughs> so so no that because there's another half to this Doug Bowser in that same interview with The Verge also had a a statement to say about the formation of unions everyone has the right to form a union and certainly in the future, wherever it takes us, we'll res- we will respect that. But we're very much focused right now on how to create the best work culture and environment we can. Yeah, he says he'll respect unions when there are two different stories from last year of y- alleged union busting within Nintendo of America. So, um, he's just lying through his fucking teeth there. <laughs> it would seem... Yeah, I mean, when you've uh... when there have been efforts to unionize, and your answer is we don't need unions because you're all happy. That is such a level of disconnect. Clearly, they are trying to form a union, which means they want a union, which means there are things they're not pleased about, or at the very least, even if they are happy, they just want a voice. Because unions aren't just about, like, we're miserable and we want things to be better. Sometimes it can be. We're happy, but we want things to be better. It it often can be about happiness levels, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. And if you are trying to stop unionization, there's something you're afraid of. Yeah. But to, to do all that in one breath, like, in one interview... Uh, where you're like oh our workers don't even want unions which is why when they want a union we don't let them have one like (laughs) come on yeah uh and the last story quickly this week uh it's time for once yet another weekly installment of who is embracer laying off today uh this week 30 plus people from zen studios who make pinball fx have been laid off Cool, cool. I love yeah. Pinball FX. As, yeah, as the Pinball is... um, person, uh, I still I play Pinball FX3 and have done for like 10 years. And every now and then I still go back to it. Yep. So that's just fucking sad. Yeah. Not much to add other than it sucks that we're seeing more of these Embracer layoffs. And I I saw this one and was like, yeah, Steph's not going to like it. Yeah. That that's a real shame. Yeah. Yeah, onward it keeps going. Yeah, it won't be the last. Like No, this... I'm sure by next week there'll be another to talk about. Yeah, and especially as far as Embracer goes, because, yeah. like, as I've been saying on Jimquisitions lately, um, there's been so much rapid growth and acquisitions and spending of money in the industry. Mm. And we, we had Embracer suck up studio after studio, IP after IP, this was always going to happen. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and on that note, that's it. We're done. We did it. Oh, good for us. Yep. More, more of that. We're done. We're done. <laughs> um, the listeners might not be done with their their ever ravenous hunger for content. And Laura, I I have heard that you might be able to help them out there. Might be able to fill oh, their. I bellies. might. I might just. I might just be able to. Uh, you can find all the stuff I do at Laura K Buzz pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Mastodon, Blue Sky, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Just everywhere that you find people, I'm at Laura K Buzz. Um, 
Stories of Autistic Joy. It's out now. Go check it out. Uh, 28th of uh, November, so about a month from now, the Gender Euphoria audiobook releases. So look forward to that. What about you, Conrad? Where are you on the internet? Oh, you could find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Instagram and Blue Sky. You can hang out with me live on Twitch, where I've been painting minis and playing stuff at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda and Jimquisition merchandise at mercenarycreative.com. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Who? James Stephanie Sterling. Oh, oh it's true. Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. That's the Patreon. Supports this podcast and the Jimquisition and the reviews that I write. Speaking of, at thejimquisition.com, uh, there is a Sonic Superstars review. There is also a Spider-Man 2 review um, where I had some criticism of its story, but you know, it is otherwise a great game. Um, hopefully this week I'll also have a review up for Mario Wonder and I've also got to get a Lords of the Fallen one done. Uh, my next wrestling booking is Blackpool. Well, I'm told I'm booked. I've heard no details, but this that coming sounds like Saturday... Wrestling. It does sound like wrestling. Uh, this coming Saturday, the 28th, it's uh, PCW's Halloween show. Um, if you look up PCW... Um, or PCW underscore UK on socials. Um, you'll get details. It might be the first time uh, since Stardust that I'm wrestling without a mask. Uh, no promises. Ooh. But it, it's ironic because it's a Halloween thing, but the costuming I've got might require face paint and the star mask doesn't quite work. And my hair is at a point where I'm quite comfortable with it. Um, plus I've had um, Fee very kindly put in a bit of a weave near the front because my fringe looks nice except when it gets wet i.e. when I'm wrestling then then it looks like shit but now it looks amazing and it looks really 80s right now and I really like it Um, so I might I may end up chickening out and just wearing the mask but I might be wrestling um, maskless for the very first time for, and, and certainly the first time ever since I um, transitioned. So that's fun. Uh, and then 25th of November is the next one I know for definite. That's in Leeds again. True Grit Wrestling uh, returning after my um, utter banger of a match with Kid Bandit that you can see on True Grit's uh, YouTube channel. Also, for social media, I have been moving most of my stuff over to uh, Blue Sky um i am kind of phasing off twitter like a lot of people um so yeah. I've, I've mostly made a home on blue sky where i put a lot of things uh usually a lot of first traps uh if you're into that sort of thing uh and i'm also commander selling on instagram as well and that's that thank you all so much for listening and for all of your support and we'll see you next week bye bye bye